in the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. If you've had much contact with the Roman Catholic Church, you're likely familiar with these words of Gabriel. Greetings, you who are highly favored. It's the basis for the Latin hymn Ave Maria. When the angel greeted the young virgin this way and told her the news that he had to bear, the Son of God was conceived in her womb. We observe in the church today this holy annunciation, nine months prior to the feast of the Nativity, Christmas. And ponder this fact that we observe it in the season of Lent, just before Holy Week. The ancient church observed March 25th as both the Annunciation and Good Friday, from an old belief that great men, great heroes, died on the same day they were conceived, accomplishing a full revolution of their lives. Now, our first instinct might be to laugh at that as a foolish superstition, but consider the importance of both of those events. Jesus began his human life as an ordinary fertilized egg in the way all human beings begin life, only he was without sin. Jesus was born of his mother, just as all human beings are born of their mothers, only he was without sin. Jesus lived through childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, as all human beings do, only without sin. And Jesus died only because he was the only one who had no sin. He was the only one to whom the curse of death did not apply. And not only was this Jesus without sin, but he was the Son of the Most High. The Lord is with you, Gabriel said, and that was physically, literally true. The Lord was taking up residence in her womb. Because the Lord came to be with Mary in such a way, we can also say to one another, the Lord is with you. Two unexpected realities come from this fact. First, God is in the flesh. And second, this child possesses the throne. Christians have always been, since the ancient church, pro-life even before the movement existed under that name. From Scripture, we understand that life begins in the womb. And science backs that up. From Scripture, we understand that those children in the womb are also sinful and in need of salvation. Lately, the pro-choice position has backed away from arguing about the fact of science, and instead argues that life in the womb is just less valuable than that outside the womb, that it is lacking in personhood. But every stage of human life, including that smallest and most vulnerable stage, has been sanctified by our Lord. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was God and man as that developing fetus in Mary's womb. We know that only a little while later, the unborn John, who would be the baptizer, greeted the unborn Jesus with a leap in his mother's womb. Those were two individuals, already with personalities. And Jesus' personality was that of God, who had assumed manhood. God came in the flesh, and because of that fact, he could be with you in a way that is not merely according to his omnipresence. God is, of course, all places at all times, but he is that way in a general way in order to sustain and preserve his creation, directing it according to his will. 
but it is in a particular way that God is with his believers. Understand the implications of all these facts. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, as Isaiah said, which means God with us. He didn't lose his human flesh when he ascended into heaven either. And that's a marvel worth meditating upon. The human flesh of Christ, the only perfect human flesh to live since Adam fell into sin, that perfect flesh died. And because that was God in the flesh, we can correctly say that God died. Think of the magnitude. The perfect flesh of the God-man paid the punishment price for all humanity. Because God died, Jesus purchased the forgiveness for every single human being. And then God rose from the dead. The slave master of our race could not hold him, and because that one who was raised was human, that slave master can't hold any of the human flesh that is united to him by faith. Believing in him, therefore, means that you have life in him. It's rooted into his flesh, and therefore it's marked with a sacrament that touches our flesh. Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. Around the 5th century A.D., there was a Christian bishop named Nestorius who was trying to teach the two natures of Christ, God and man. And the illustration he used was that essentially in Christ, the divine nature and the human nature have been glued together like two boards. He therefore taught also that Mary was the mother of the human nature, but God was the father of the divine nature. It's important that you understand at this point, though, that Nestorius and his followers were dead wrong. That illustration doesn't work. The Christian church had to teach strongly the fact that Jesus is not two separate persons, nor is he a mixture of the divine and human natures, but the divine nature is attached to the human nature more like fire attaches itself to iron. The divine nature is intrinsically joined to the human nature. And yet the human nature remains what it is, only glorified in Jesus. This is important, and the ancient church even started emphasizing the term theotokos when speaking of Mary. Theotokos is a Greek word that means God-bearer or mother of God. And to Lutherans, that might sound scarily Catholic to call Mary the mother of God, but it is doctrinally literally true. Mary is the mother of God. Understand, though, that that name says less about Mary and more about her son. Mary was, as she said, the Lord's servant. She was nothing more than a humble maiden from Israel, faithful to the word of God and yet a sinner like any other human being. Nothing, absolutely nothing, set her apart except the favorable look of God. We call that grace. And because he looked upon her, because the Lord was with her, she was blessed among women to be the mother of Jesus. And this Jesus was God, and therefore she was the mother of God. We confess this to be true because it means that God came in the flesh, and that he took upon himself our death, our sin, our guilt, 
And we have His righteousness and life. Because God became a man, He was able to purchase and win you from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with things that pass away, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the blood of God. Because God became man, because God was born a child of Mary, and because Mary was graciously made by God into the mother of God, you are saved. And of her child, the angel said, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. It's important to understand that even from his infancy, even from his existence as a fetus in Mary's womb, Jesus possessed the throne. And he has it because of his divine nature, for God is the king of all the earth, as the psalmist sings. But he possessed it also because of his human nature, because he was descended from King David by his mother, Mary, and by his adoptive father, Joseph. Through his earthly life, Jesus did not seize the possession of the throne. In fact, when some people intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. But when Pilate asked him before Jesus' conviction whether he was a king, Jesus answered, I am, as you say, a king. And you know, of course, that Jesus was not a king according to earthly standards, and that's the point. His kingdom, as he said, is not of this world. This little child possesses the throne even at the first moments of his conception. He was a king in Mary's womb, and not any ordinary king. He was the king of heaven and earth, the one who has the kingdom of glory in which the victorious saints and angels sing his praises and where the sun need not shine because the king has that brightness. And he is the one who has the kingdom of grace, peopled by sinners who, although they don't deserve it, have all the blessings of God, His forgiveness, life, and salvation, as well as the promise of entrance into the kingdom of glory. Grace is what is emphasized by this incarnation. God could, by His power, simply pick up those He would save with a thought. But He uses means. He has limited himself into means which we can hear and see and taste and touch and smell. Jesus was a physical human being, and he still is. And he comes to you with the physical means of his word, spoken aloud and heard in your ears. He comes to you through the physical means of baptism, touching your skin and accompanied by that word. And he comes to you through the physical means of the supper. So you taste his flesh and blood upon your lips within the elements of bread and wine. Because this child possessed the throne, you may be certain of the fact that you have his forgiveness, life, and salvation through word and sacrament. The Lord is with you. That's a physically, literally true statement. Yes, you've sinned and you don't deserve His presence. God, after all, can't be where sin is. And that is what is meant by the curtain in the temple and the angel guarding the way to the tree of life. We've separated ourselves from God by our sin. But God came to us, not because of our deserving, but because of His grace. 
He became one of us. He paid for our sin in his flesh. He gives us his divine body and blood to eat and drink. He rules heaven and earth for our benefit. He began his human life as a fertilized egg like all human beings do. But where we started in sin, and we have sinned every day of our lives up until this moment, he began holy, and he never sinned. But on the cross, he traded places with us. And coming out of the tomb, he proved that where he is, we shall be. There's much to meditate upon this Lenten season. Meditate as we come to Holy Week on the fact that God has your flesh. And that flesh was conceived for you, lived for you, was wounded for you, died for you, and rose for you. And consider, too, that you have the blessing, as Mary did, that physically, literally, and graciously, the Lord is with you. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen.